The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. It's time now to open up God's Word. Together, let me invite you to take your copy of the Scriptures and open with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John and chapter 1, that's on page 886 of a pew Bible or whatever Bible you have. We're opening up to the Gospel of John together and the sermon series that we're looking at in Advent of 2018 uh, we've called The Christ uh, because we are appropriately so focusing our attention upon Jesus but particularly we're going to be focusing on Jesus with respect to his humanity. So in the month of December we are looking at varied scriptures in which we are going to be considering Jesus' human nature, his human mind, his human will, his human body, his human affections. And this month we are taking a very close look at the Lord Jesus, which of course is what we want to be doing all the time. But especially during the season of Advent, it is a particular thing to give special attention to just who is this Jesus. What child is this, of course, that we worship at Christmas time? And uh, in, in preparation for thinking about uh, what we want to be considering this morning, uh, I know for a fact that uh, the, the easiest answer that people give when uh, you ask them how you know, how you doing and how, what do you have going on, especially this time of year, is uh, you can almost bet that somebody's going to say, I'm busy, right? I'm busy. I've got stuff to do. I've got places to be. I've got responsibilities to attend to and things that people want me to accomplish. And I've got more to do than I have time to do it. I'm busy, right? Everybody's busy. So much so, perhaps, that uh, we lack the ability to, to even be still for even a moment, to sit quietly, to even have a moment to, to just think. Uh, maybe you, in a stressed-out moment, have said, if I could just have you know, one minute to myself to just you know, leave me alone for a second, I can just think. Uh, well, you know, I confess that you know, in my life, uh, I have the same problem, constantly busy, constantly moving. And uh, actually, uh, Mackenzie and I were just talking about that uh, in, our, in our lives. Uh, one illustration of that was when, when we were in Scotland, we were hiking up in the, um, the Black Cullens Mountains on the Isle of Skye, and we were going up to a landscape of one of the most photographed landscapes in all of Scotland, and we just you know, couldn't wait to get there. And uh, it was beautiful, and we got up there and said, wow, and took a few pictures, and then rushed back down because we had dinner reservations. Um, and it didn't, didn't take more than maybe you know, 15 minutes or so to stop and appreciate, in my mind, the, one of the most beautiful landscapes I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm glad I have pictures of it. But yeah, rushing back down as we'd rush back up. You know, what, is it, what does it cost you to stop? You know, just a few minutes to stop and think and reflect and even think deeply. Uh, the reason why we are looking at the Christ this Advent season is because I want us to think deeply about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you think about Jesus perhaps from time to time, and what comes perhaps in your mind is maybe a few memories of stories from the gospel narratives or the things that you love to think about, the Lord Jesus, what you love about him. Um, but we want to think about just in, in a real sense who he is with regard to his, his persons, his humanity, his divinity. And John's gospel helps us in a very unique way to do that during the Advent season. 
And uh, in turning to John, we are reminded that during the medieval era, when uh, icons were really popular, the Gospels were uh, prefigured with certain uh, uh, images. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew was pictured as an angel. Uh, declaring the angelic praises of God. And Mark was represented as a lion because Mark declares uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring in the wilderness is the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke was represented by an ox to, to picture the sacrifice of Jesus. But John's uh, image for his gospel was that of an eagle. John's gospel is represented as an eagle. And that is uh, for several reasons, but one of which was because Eagles are unique because uh, they can stare directly into the sun. Eagles can stare directly into the sun. And John's gospel does just that, even at the beginning. Focuses with laser focus attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is John's Christmas story here in chapter 1. But there's no angels, there's no Bethlehem, there's no manger, there's uh, no flight to Egypt, no stable, no Herod, no shepherds, none of that. No wise men, gold, frankincense, myrrh, not even accounts of his early teenage years, not even a description of his uh, baptism. And that all the other gospels record those details. But John goes back further than that to begin at the beginning, like you do when you tell an old, old story, right? A long, long time ago, way, way back, and that's where John starts, way, way back, before there was anything, before anything that exists existed. And so let us pray and hear God's word from John chapter 1 this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now, Lord, that as your spirit so moved John to record these words for us, that same spirit would rest upon our hearts, would rest upon our minds with illumination to give us understanding, a fuller appreciation, and overwhelming love for the Lord Jesus Christ this Advent season, and especially today now we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And now hear the word of God from John in chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. This is the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. So let us keep our attention here in John chapter 1. Something else that is also said about John's gospel that was, has been said since the 4th century is that the gospel of John is deep enough that an, an elephant or a giraffe may swim in it, but it is shallow enough that a child may wade into its waters at the same time. Deep enough for the giraffe and the elephant, shallow enough for the child, as if to say the presentation itself is very basic, but the depth of significance in the presentation is astounding. And that is represented perhaps in the best way even here in chapter 1 in what we call the prologue to the Gospel of John. John writes here with words that are very simple. Uh, someone with a very basic vocabulary, perhaps a children at a very young age, could probably read this chapter uh, not too long after they begin to read some more advanced uh, children's books. The, the wording is very simple, but yet the meaning is incredibly deep. It's staggering. For example, just in verse 10, this concept that speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word, the light, that he, verse 10, was in the world and the world was made through him. That is, that the one who made the world is made subject to the world by being within the world that he made. That's a staggering thought. Absolutely staggering. And, and John takes us here to this place where we can be lost in wonder, wonder, love, and praise as we heard the choir singing, as we remind ourselves that people love Christmas music in this time and singing all these wonderful songs when we learn incredible lessons from these carols because there's so much truth packed in these songs that we love to sing, right? Hark, the herald angels sing, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, please as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Think about even in just that, the offspring, veiled in flesh, dwelling in flesh. The Bible says that Jesus is God in flesh. And the word that we use for that is, of course, uh, incarnation incarnation, the incarnation of Christ, the incarnate Christ. That word literally means the, the in-fleshing, the in-fleshing, the appearance in flesh of the Lord Jesus. And John, in the most incredible way, explains this to us in ways that the other gospels, they don't even try to explain. They just present details, a virgin, Mary, and a conception and the Lord Jesus. But John here gives this detail. And I want us to see two things here in this prologue, and one quickly and the other one with more time spent lingering on this point. And the first is, is that John describes for us the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word. And that's the, the main theme there, especially in verse 1, that when John talks about Jesus, he talks about the Word, and this Word is God. So the first thing is that Jesus is God, very clearly. John wants us to understand that Jesus is God. But this second element that we want to linger on, and really we're going to be lingering on this entire month of December in our Advent celebration, is this second point that this Jesus, who is himself the Word, the Light, the Eternal Son of God, is also 
a man, a human being, a real person. And it is on the humanity of Jesus that we want to focus, the humanity of his nature. And so we're just, we're camping out in verse 14 this morning in chapter 1. Look at it again in chapter 1 and verse 14 as John describes with the most simple language but the most eloquent thought, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, this is Christmas according to John, inviting us into this incredible unfolding of all that the Bible says. Everything from the Old Testament is looking forward and anticipating this moment. And John says, here it is, the, the enfleshing, the incarnation, the assumption of flesh of God himself coming to us. God has come. The God who sits upon the throne of heaven, now an infant lying in a manger. The word become flesh in the form of an embryo formed in his mother's womb, becoming a tiny human life, dependent on the nourishment he receives from his mother, a small human speck submitted to the vast cosmos of all the creation, God himself lying beneath stars that he put in place. This is staggering. Absolutely staggering. That the word who was God, who was in the beginning, who was with God, became flesh. What does that, what does that mean? Why does John say that the word became flesh? I want us to understand that for Jesus to become flesh does not mean that he stopped being who he always was. For Jesus to become flesh and take upon flesh doesn't mean that he stopped being what he eternally was, which is God himself. He was eternally and will eternally be the Son of God and fully God, but he did not stop being God when he came to Bethlehem. He didn't have to stop becoming God because he already was God, but he had to become flesh. But he, he does this by addition. He takes on upon himself humanity. He does not subtract his divinity to become a human. He adds humanity to his person. He is still God and at the same time becomes man. This is our Understanding of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity assumes human nature without laying aside his divine nature. That is what the Christian church has guarded as history and faith for 2,000 years. What generations of faithful Christian believers have insisted upon and what Error after error has required of us that we not believe we stand to say. No, we believe, we believe that. We believe that Jesus is God and Jesus is a man at the same time. We, we do that with helpful instruction from Paul, perhaps, in Philippians chapter 2, which reminds us that, that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of human flesh. He became a servant and laid his life down. Now, this, this concept is something that's so important to us 
that Jesus, he did not come down from heaven with his human nature. He didn't bring human nature with him. He receives it by his birth. He's Mary's son. He's the seed of the woman promised from Genesis chapter 3 to crush the head of the serpent. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And you know, as you maybe have conversations during a Christmas season or uh, talk to coworkers or friends or family members, and uh, you know, one of the things that you maybe perhaps inevitably speak of is, this, this thing that we call the virgin birth, right? It's a miraculous thing, isn't it? It's distinct. And, you know, in the eyes of a secular culture, for you to say you believe in a virgin birth, they're going to look at you and say, you need to take remedial biology class. That's not how this works. But we believe, of course, in a virgin birth. Why? Because the scriptures say so. But did you know that it is not itself the birth of Christ, that it is the miracle? Because Jesus was born in the same way that everybody in this room was born. The birth itself was totally normal, natural. What is miraculous is the, of course, conception by the power of the Holy Spirit so that Mary might bring forth the Redeemer of humanity as a human being, a real true human being, but without the stain of sin upon him. A perfect child. A perfect human. This is what is miraculous. Listen to the way, listen to the way one person says this. John Murray, who is a, a theologian of the early 20th century, he says, he says it this way, in, in very brief form, similar to the Gospel of John. He says, The incarnation means that the Son of God, who never had a beginning, began to be what he eternally was not. The Son of God, who never had a beginning, began to be what he eternally was not. In eternity, he did not have a human body. But for eternity, he will. And what changed is, of course, this incarnation, this enfleshing of the Son. Jesus is fully God, fully man, 100% and 100%. This is the biblical, historical, orthodox view of Jesus. Anything less than that, you have to ask yourself, well, does it matter? Does it really matter what you believe about Jesus after all? You know, I want to come to church and sing a few songs and believe in Jesus and celebrate what he does for us. But does it really matter like how specific we get? Is this, you know, just navel gazing and hair splitting and the kind of thing that people who need to just argue about go off on their own and talk about it? The rest of us just want to sing some carols. Does this matter? Does it really matter? And the answer is unequivocally, yes. Because if Jesus is not who the Bible says he is, then he cannot do for you what you so desperately need him to do for you. He wouldn't be qualified to do it if he wasn't God and man. It all matters because you cannot have a true gospel message without a true understanding of Christ. Why? Because Christ himself is the gospel. Who he is and what he does is the gospel message. If Jesus is not all that he is, if he ever stops being what he is, the whole universe is going to disintegrate because the Bible says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. If he stops being what he is, everything will fall away. 
But because he is who he is and because he is what the Bible says he is, the the world is upheld and your salvation is a reality because of who he is. That's why we need to be clear on this. You know, you're clear about things that matter to you, right? Whatever your passion is that you want to get, you know, be a stickler about, you know, whether it's, you know, particular business investment strategies or farming understandings or sports teams or, or whatever, like the things that you really care about, you, you stick up for, right? You're a stickler for those things, right? I'm a stickler for Notre Dame football and rightly so, of course. I care about these things, but infinitely more so. Even if you're not a church elder or the pastor, shouldn't you all care to be specific about who Jesus is? The Jesus that we profess faith in and give him our trust, we need to know who he is in a real intimate sense, not just a passing glance that goes on and does something else so quickly. That's why our church creeds labor to make the point, Jesus Christ, begotten and not made, conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that with all of our hearts. But here's the point, right? Because... Why should we care so much about his human nature? Because we love to think about Jesus, and I think it's much easier for us to think about Jesus as God. It is difficult, I think, for us to grasp the thought of Jesus as a human being. But here's why it matters. Because Jesus is a human being for our sake, we who are humans. Because as you look through the Gospels, no matter what your favorite Gospel might be, as you read about Jesus, you find, of course, that he's a man, that he does things proper to a man. He grows up, he becomes tired, he becomes thirsty, he weeps at the graveside of a friend. He will experience things proper to his humanity and feel them deeply. And you read about that and you see what he does and where he walks and where he goes and who he talks to and what he does. And the experience of all these things is a real human being. And the point is, is that he is this human being just like us, just like us, except he is without sin so that we who are with our sins might have a suitable savior. He he bears our humanity, our nature, so that it suddenly becomes impossible for someone to say, and you've heard people say this, or maybe perhaps you've said it yourself. You know, God couldn't possibly care about me God couldn't possibly know what I'm going through. God isn't interested in in my life, the person who feels abandoned or forsaken or overlooked or forgotten, overlooked and all these different things. They say, "God God is so far out there, he's not thinking about me. And the incarnation says, you can't say that. No one can say that actually because the Lord Jesus has stepped into our lives in the most shocking way. That Christ, who is also our Lord, is not some master who is unapproachable or doesn't understand us, but because he has taken on our flesh, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and our sorrows. He is able to identify with us in our fears and in our trials and all that grieves us. Jesus has been in our flesh to feel those things first so that you are never alone as a Christian believer in the experience of all of your life, from joys to afflictions, he's tasted it all as a man. That means he can sustain you in that. 
And the question should start to be then, what should we think about this? And why should we be amazed by it? And why should it pique our interest? And it's because Jesus has taken on flesh and lowered himself and condescended into this world. And we should be thankful. And it's why we celebrate Christmas. And we're so thankful. And, you know, something else John Murray says is that we should have every reason to be thankful and be in staggering awe if Jesus were to come into this world and the world was perfect. Because it would still be a condescension. He would still be coming down from where he was, even if the world is perfect. But we know that this world is not perfect. We know that he came into such a world as this. In the words of a lesser-known Christmas hymn, it says, Lo, within a stable lies he who built the starry skies. Sacred infant, all divine, what tender love was thine. Thus to come from highest bliss down to such a world as this. Such a world as this. What kind of world is it? Look at verse 10 and verse 11. Such a world, a world that is made by him and yet doesn't know him. A world full of people who belong to him but didn't receive them as his own. The fact that the Son of God was incarnated into the world is itself staggering. The fact that the Son of God was incarnated into a sinful, fallen, and depraved world is beyond comprehension. I don't know if you experience that, if you stop to really think about that, but there's almost a moment of sadness, perhaps, to consider that. When you think about the glorious exaltation of Jesus and you consider him in lowly manger, walking in our humanity with our sins, there is this moment of sorrow in which you want to say to him, Lord, you don't belong here. This is a mess that we have created. And it is as if he is saying, I, I know. I'm here to fix it. And not only am I here to fix it, I'm here to make it brand new. What a glorious thought. In the midst of this ungrateful world, Christ comes. Comes to bear our sins in his humanity. What remains for us then? What should we do? Well, John also writes in verse 14 that of this word become flesh dwelling among us, it says we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. And the word here that John uses for seen, again, is a basic word, but, it, but what lies behind it is actually a much deeper meaning because it could also be properly translated as we have beheld his glory. And the word that's used here is not intended to represent the person who takes a passing glance and then moves on, who looks quickly and then goes on to look at something else. It comes from a Greek word which means a careful and deliberate vision and lingering thoughtfulness on a topic lingering thoughtfulness on a topic that looks for understanding and asks the question, what does this mean? You know, for me, growing up, Christmas never could come fast enough, right? You just can't wait for it to get here. And then I remember going to bed on December 25th, sad, right? Because there it went. It took so long to get here, and then just like that, it's gone, and you got to wait another year. You're almost grieving the loss, right? You can't wrap the packages back up. 
You wait again for another year. And as a child, that's the only capacity I had to understand Christmas, right? But what about we as Christian believers? What about we as Christian believers who are called to mature in our faith with a growing understanding and depth and love and wonder and adoring the person of the Lord Jesus? Shouldn't Christmas be more for us? The reality is, is that Christmas is not coming. It has come. The Word was already made flesh, and He already lived and died and rose again for us. And all that remains is that we look upon Him, or as John says in verse 14, that we, that we behold His glory, that we linger upon the thought of the Lord Jesus. And again, you might be saying to yourself, man, I don't have five seconds to myself to accomplish everything I have to do on my list. And I get it. But the Bible might be calling you to make time, to put aside other things and sit quietly with the Word of God and read the wonder and amazement of the Word becoming flesh and linger with adoring consideration of our Lord Jesus Christ and what He's come to do. Would you do it? Make the time to think deep thoughts about the Lord Jesus on Advent and to allow ourselves, like the eagle of John, to rise and soar high with these incredible thoughts and stare into the sun and fix our eyes upon this. And what better time for it than this? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and in it we find staggering mysteries and things that we can only apprehend by faith, but yet, Lord, give us a greater understanding. And as we meet with you in the scriptures, Speak to us in powerful ways about our blessed Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.